Uh, so much of what I have in my life to Southwestern and specifically to Dean Tay for taking the chance on me 12 years ago. I know I was not qualified to be put in that position, uh, but I, I hope I've made you proud. It, it, it's rare that I found out to be, to be put in a position where you can unequivocally know that God has placed you in that position, even at the detriment of other things in your life. There was never a doubt in my time here that I was where God wanted me to be. And I, I was fortunate enough to see that. I was fortunate enough to, to hear it. And it's just, uh, Southwestern has been a wonderful place for me uh, since I came to school. I've met my wife here, raised three boys here on campus in the, in the residence hall. And it's just, uh, it, it will always have a place in my heart. And it's just, uh, it's a wonderful feeling. But if you're anything like me, there's probably been times in your life where you've been stuck out of fear or complacency. You see the opportunities in front of you, but you tell yourself, no, nah, it's too risky. I'll grab the next one. Another opportunity comes, another excuse. Opportunity, excuse. Excuse after excuse after excuse until you do not see the opportunities even being presented in front of you. Fear of making the wrong choice often handicaps us into making no choice. You know the Eminem lyrics. If you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? Countless choices over your life have led you to be right here, right now. If failure was never an option, if fear never played a part in the thought process, where would you be? What would you have done? There's a crazy story tucked away in the end of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. And what, what is written about it almost assuredly does not do the story justice. Let's, uh, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, uh, 20 and 21. And I'll be honest, I struggle with this guy's pronunciation, so if I mess up, we're just going to call him Benny. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion into a pit and killed it. Once armed with only a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Wait, let's go back a little bit. Did you catch what was kind of hidden in the middle? He, he killed a what? You can't just tell us to do it off the lion and, uh, and move on as if it's normal, everyday common occurrence. We need more details. Why was, he, why was he hunting a lion? Was the lion hunting him? Did he have a weapon? What kind of weapon did he have? Why was there a lion? Why was there a lion in a pit? And most importantly, why would you chase a lion down into a pit? Whatever it was, whatever his reasoning was, it, it worked out for him because in verse 23, it says that he earned favor among David and became one of David's mighty men, even so much that he was appointed one of David's mercenaries, the head of his guards. And he later became chief in King Solomon's army. I guess it makes sense. Dude 
chases the lion down into a pit, he'd probably make a pretty, bu pretty good bodyguard. For many of us, though, we would associate getting caught in a pit with a lion as having terrible luck. It probably would not get much worse than that. Some of us may even curse God or question him for why he allowed us to be put in such a situation. But not Benny. I don't know if he was doing this to pad his resume, to show off, or maybe there was a girl nearby. But it worked. He used this challenge to gain an interview with the king and thus turned it into a career. Talk about your proverbial lemons to lemonade. God is in the resume building business. He's using past experiences to prepare us for future opportunities. These opportunities, however, don't always come as opportunities. They disguise themselves. They come wrapped in fear, clothed in self-doubt, smothered by our own insecurities. To some, they might as well appear as man-eating lions. How we react in the face of these opportunities is how we will determine our destiny. We can cower in fear and turn away from the challenge. We can make excuses, or we can blame others for why we are where we are. Or we can chase the lion. We can grab it by its mane, and in doing so, grab our God-appointed destiny by seizing the God-ordained opportunity. Lucky for us, we don't have any lions here in Keene. You're probably not going to find yourself in a snowy pit with a lion. You're not going to go to Fort Worth and hop the fence. But what is your lion? What are you afraid of? I've learned that the greatest opportunities in life are oftentimes the scariest. The bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. And God doesn't ask us to play it safe. God gives us opportunities. And what we do with these opportunities is our gift back to God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to look back at my life and see a string of missed opportunities or missed chances. I want to look back at my life and see that God was in the midst of the decision-making. When times were tough, I want to be able to see that he was using those times to prepare me for what was next. I don't want to see a situation and think to myself, hmm, nah, that looks tough. Yeah, not going to do that. I'm done being complacent. I'm done being comfortable. God doesn't want us to be comfortable. When I leave this world, I want to leave behind a legacy of lion chasing. I've stood on the sideline and watched opportunities pass me by out of fear or self-doubt. But as I said, God did not design us to be comfortable. God designed us to be anything but. He designed us to do incredible things. Dr. Neil Rose in his book, If Only, writes, there are two types of regret, regrets of action and regrets of inaction. A regret of action is wishing you hadn't done something. In theological terms, it's called the sin of commission. A regret of inaction is wishing you had done something, but didn't. It's called a sin of omission. We get hung up on sins of commission far too much. For far too many, religion has been nothing but a list of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. As if holiness is somehow achieved by not sinning or not doing a certain item. 
in his book, in a pit with a lion in a snowy day, says, God is more concerned with the sins of omission, the things we could have and should have done. It's holiness by multiplication. Goodness is not the absence of badness. You can do nothing wrong, but still do nothing right. Goodness is not the absence of badness. You can be doing nothing right, nothing wrong, but you can still be doing nothing right. Doing nothing wrong does not make you a good person. And doing nothing wrong certainly does not make you a Christian. Jesus didn't give us a list of don't do this or don't do that. Jesus asks us to do. Those who simply run away from sin are half Christians. Our calling is much higher. We're not designed to simply turn away and run from what's wrong. We're designed to chase lions. Somewhere along the lines, though, we developed an understanding that following God was going to be safe. It was going to be comfortable. But we know that's not the case. Christ asks us to be bold, to be proactive, not reactive, to be aggressive in our search of opportunities, to be aggressive in our desire to make an impact. By doing these incredible things, by saying yes to the opportunities, we are able to bring glory back to him. God loves to make an impact. The more impossible something seems to be, the more likely he is to show up. The more impossible something seems to be, the more of an impact he can make. The more the odds are against us, the more he can show his glory Saying yes or chasing lions gives us a chance to glorify God through our successes, our achievements, and yes, even our failures. Failure to say yes to these opportunities robs God of the chance to show his magnificent glory. You don't think God likes to make an impact? You don't think he likes to show off his power? Let's look at uh, Judges chapter 7. You know the story. Gideon's there with his army. They're camped out. They're severely outnumbered. It's roughly one verse five. It says that the Midianites were as plentiful as locusts, that the camels were without number, such as the sands on the seashore. The odds were not in Gideon's favor. Sure, God could have allowed the 32,000 to defeat the 135,000, but they would have thought it was them that were doing it. We all like an underdog story but God has a way of taking it even a step further. He wasn't satisfied with just a one to five success story. So he told Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me and say that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 to stay and fight. Bam! Just like that. Two-thirds of your already outnumbered army, gone, sent home to walk home a coward. Now the odds are even crazier. It's 1 to 13, roughly. But the Lord said, this, this is still too many. 
There are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put those who cup the water in their hands and lap it up like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and take their time to have a drink of water. Only 300 of the men scooped water as they ran across the stream. All the rest got down, took their time, and drank directly from the stream. In verse 7, the Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you the victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. We don't need them. 32,000 to 10,000. 10,000 to 300. All right, Lord. Crazy enough to prove your point. It is now about 1 to 430. But as you know, the Lord was still not done. He did not want to prove a point. He wanted to leave no sliver of doubt who was behind the victory, lest any man, woman, or child say it was by their hand. It was now time to attack. And the Lord had one more trick up his sleeve. He told Gideon, arm your soldiers with, not swords and spears, arm your soldiers with trumpets, torches, and empty clay pitchers. Okay? They were to surround the camp at night, and when Gideon gave the signal, they were to blow the trumpets, crush the pitchers, and wave the torches. This created such confusion that the enemy turned on themselves and started killing one another. Those that didn't die ran to the hills where they were to be captured. 300 defeats 135,000 without a single weapon. God could have used the 32,000 to attack, but they would have believed it was from their own doing. He could have defeated the army with 10,000 and maybe proven his point. But with 300 soldiers and not a weapon amongst them, there was no doubt who was behind the victory. Too often our prayers revolve around asking God to reduce the difficulty in our lives. We ask him to reduce the odds, to put them more in our favor, to make things easier for us. We want everything to be fair. We do not like being the underdog. But maybe God gives us these challenges that look hopeless in order to experience miracles of divine proportions. The bigger the odds, the bigger the miracle, the bigger the impact. Asking God to lessen the challenges puts his abilities in a box. God's abilities cannot be contained. Most of our problems are not situational. Most of our problems are of our perspective. Our problems seem really big because we've made our God seem really small. A.W. Tozer said, A low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a person with a high view of God is relieved of 10,000 problems. God is bigger than we could ever imagine. How we view God is the difference between being a scaredy cat or a lion chaser. Even our best understanding falls so short of God's capabilities 
In Isaiah 55, eight to nine, it tells us, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's abilities are unfathomable for us to understand. From the heavens to the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are more than your thoughts. It promises in Psalms, it says, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. He is going before us to lead the way, but he's also coming behind us to offer us protection. God is all around us. Knowing this, why do we still try to limit what he is capable of? Why do we still try to fit him into a mold that we can understand? Why do we pray for comfort instead of praying for character? Why do we pray for a way out instead of praying for strength to make it through? Why do we pray for no pain, knowing full well there will be no gain? C.S. Lewis wrote, If God had granted all the silly prayers I've made in my life, where would I be now? He goes on to say that later on we might be more thankful for the prayers that were not answered than the ones that were. Garth Brooks has a song that I love. It's, uh, it's great when you're going through a breakup or really any, any difficult type of situation. It's called Unanswered Prayers. And he sings, Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs. Just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. God is setting the stage for some amazing miracles. The more we allow him to work, the more we are able to exalt his glory. The more we say yes, the more we grow. The more we grow, the bigger our God becomes. The bigger our God becomes, the smaller our lions appear. I love water. I always have. I love swimming in cold mountain streams. There's just something about it that makes you feel alive. It, it reinvigorates you. It, it, it soothes the soul. I've built up a reputation as someone who will swim no matter what the weather, no matter what the conditions, no matter the temperature of the water, I'm the one that will jump in. And honestly, the older I get, the harder it is to keep up with this reputation because there's times, there's times that it seems really nice to stay on the shore, to stay warm and dry. We went camping recently and, and my son Miles, he comes up to me and he goes, Daddy, the water's probably going to be pretty cold, right? I said, yeah. He said, most people probably won't go swimming, right? Yeah, probably, but we will, right? Because we're Iverson boys. I've never, I've never been more proud. He, do, he, do, he doesn't know what I've set him up for, but uh, sure, we, we, can, we can look at that story and talk about swimming and leave it as just, you know, swimming. And it would still be a cute story, but nothing else. But hopefully... Somewhere in his mind, I've set him up to seek adventure despite 
the inconvenience. Hopefully, I've planted a seed that as he gets older, he will realize that the greatest moments in life do not happen by remaining in our comfort zones. Life's greatest moments happen when we challenge ourselves. I tell people all the time, my RAs can attest to this, get wild, take chances. You'll never remember the times that you stayed on the shore or the times that you did not jump into the waterfall. You'll never remember the times that you kept your shirt on at the soccer game. Take chances. That's an inside joke, by the way. Take chances, take risks, have fun. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. God asks us to do the same thing. Sitting, sitting idly by doing nothing does not bring glory to God. It does the opposite. The greatest impact we as Christians can make is to be bold, to be brash, to face our giants with a God-given confidence, to chase our lions with the Spirit of the Lord. God is using obstacles in our path to, pre to prepare us for who we are to become. He doesn't say it will be easy, but what things in life that are easy are ever really worth it? At the end of our lives, much like David's, I hope that we can look back at our lives and be thankful for the giants that stood in our way. I hope we will look back on our lives and be thankful that we were lucky enough to be stuck in a pit with a lion. I think Mark Twain said it best. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the harbor, catch the winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. What are you afraid of? What is holding you back? If you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture it or would you let it slip? God has given us the green light to test him. He wants to do the impossible through us. He wants to show his glory through you. Don't settle for normal. Don't cower to your fears. Stop allowing doubt to hold you back any longer. It's time to face our giants, jump into the pit, and chase our lions. See if God doesn't reveal himself in ways we could never have imagined.